happy Sabbath. Aren't we so blessed to have our junior early teens leading out today? You know, it's not that easy to get up here and to do all that stuff when you're that age. I know that when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I was not that bold. And so thank you guys so much for willing to be bold for God, for coming up here and for rocking out. And thank you also to Pastor Milton who led them out today. Um, Pastor Milton has such a heart for youth ministry and has been such an amazing mentor to me since I got here. And so thank you for supporting them and for leading out for them today. Um, like I was saying, I was not really that bold of a person when I was 13 years old. I was bold in some ways, but in other ways, not so much. For example, 13 years old, I had just entered high school. Really excited. High school seemed so big to me. My school was only 600 students, but high school seemed really big to me, all 600 people. And when I entered, really still in junior high, because it was the first couple months of the year, I heard of something really cool that high schoolers did. And that was called the Christmas Banquet. It was the first time that people were allowed to ask dates to banquet. People would go together. Now, I don't really know why they call it a date because it's 10 people at a table. But the idea of having a date to the Christmas banquet was really exciting. And not only that, but at my high school, um, everybody seemed to have some kind of penchant for competition, just like I'm sure it is at everybody's high school. But specifically with the boys in my high school, they were always competing to try to find out who can ask a girl in the fanciest way. And so here I was, I was a freshman in high school, 13 years old, and all of us ask ourselves, right, like who am I going to go with to the banquet? But see, the thing is, I had been hanging out with my friends, and I was thinking to myself, I don't really want to date, because what if I go and it's awkward? Um, or I go, and then he wants to date after that, and I don't want to date. And so I thought to myself, I got together with my girlfriends, and we decided we're all going to go as a group. We're not going to go with boys. We're going to go as a group. But see, someone's amening out there, some kind of proud mom. She's like, yes. But see, here's the thing. Something really weird happened that year that I didn't really anticipate. I was sitting in one of my classes, and all of a sudden, this guy comes in with, like, this huge thing of roses, and he's like, Samantha, will you go to the banquet with me? And I was thinking to myself, well, I promised my friends, and I don't really want to go. And so I look over at my friends, and they're like, <laughs> right? So I'm like, oh, well, you see... I'm going with my, anyways, I somehow ended up telling this guy, like, oh, I'm going with my friends. And it didn't seem like he took it too hard because he turned around, like, the next period and was like, hey, will you go with me <laughs> to this other girl? And so he got a date and it was fine. But the weird thing is, is that the next week I walked into my yearbook class and I looked in my mailbox and there was this thing of pink roses. And there was a note and it said, Samantha, will you go to the banquet with me? But the problem is I had already told my friends I wouldn't go with anyone. I had already told this guy that had asked me last week that I wasn't going to go with anybody. And before you get this idea that I was, like, all popular and wanted, it wasn't really like that. It's just this thing that happened freshman year. And I, there was this note, and, and I was like, well, who do I respond to about this note? And this guy came around the corner, and he was like, that's for me. <laughs> And I said, you know what, I would really love to, but I had already promised my... Anyways, I went to the spiel, and believe it or not... Three more guys after that came and asked, will you go to the banquet? And I was like, oh, no, like I have my friends. Anyway, so I thought I was all home clean, like home free and clear. I wasn't going to, the, going to the banquet with any guy. I had said no. It was going to be really good. 
a lot of people were telling me, you're the meanest person in the whole world. But I was like, I gave my word. I know what the right thing is to do. Promise my friends I'm not going to. And then, and then the day before Thanksgiving break happened. That was the last chance to buy tickets. And I thought I was home free and clear. The reason why I don't tell this story that much is because it doesn't make me look that good at the end. But I thought I was all free and clear until I walked into my first class. And in that first class, there was a single red rose with a balloon tied to it. And what it said was, follow the trail of balloons and roses. And I looked around like, oh, shoot. And I realized who it was. You see, there is this junior in my high school who had heard about this girl that kept telling everybody no. And he thought to himself, I'm going to get her. <laughs> and the thing is, I had heard about this. Like, I heard this going through the high school. And so I remember um, him coming up to me, kind of talking about banquet. And I told myself, I'm going to make it really clear to him so that he doesn't have any ideas. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to the banquet. I'm going with my friends. We all promise we're all going to go together. But on the day before Christmas break, the last day, I was almost free um, there shows up this thing in my desk. And every class that I went to after that, there was more roses and more balloons and more notes until finally I'm at sixth period and I'm going crazy. Like, I'm nervous and I'm glancing around wondering what's going to pop out. Someone's going to pop out of a box somewhere or, like, what's going to happen? And so I get to the last one and it doesn't, the note doesn't say anything. It's just blank and it's a math class and I wait and I tell myself, no matter what happens, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I made it clear, I made the commitment, I'm going to say no. And school ended that day, and I thought to myself, I'll just wait, just in case he decides to do something public, there won't be people around. And I waited and I waited, and finally I exited my math class, and it, lo and behold, there is an actual trail of rose petals trailing from the room to the top of the, the staircase, which overlooks the courtyard. And being the girl that I am, I walked the other way. I was like, well, I'm not going to follow that trail of roses, except that all his friends came and they're like, no, you have to go here. Someone hands me this bouquet of balloons. I know this sounds crazy, but it's true. Someone hands me this bouquet of balloons. Someone else hands me more roses. And I turn around the corner and there's his family taking pictures and with a video camera. All right? And I'm standing there like, oh, my goodness. I looked around, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And then they made my friends stop, so I had to go by myself. I walked to the top of this staircase, and I looked down. It's this ramp going out to the courtyard, and my whole high school is there. <laughs> They're standing there, total silence. Doesn't happen a lot in high school. They're all just looking at me. And there's pictures and camera, and there's an actual trail. Like, I'm talking completely covered all the way to the end of this platform. And at the end, there is a pink and white balloon arch. <laughs> and this guy is standing there <laughs> underneath the balloon arch in a suit <laughs> holding more roses. I mean, nobody needs that many roses. I don't even like roses now. <laughs> I get... <laughs> I get to the end, and I take this walk of doom. And this girl looks at me, and she's like, you better say yes. <laughs> and then I turn to the left, and here's three of the five guys that had asked, standing there looking at me. <laughs> like, you said you'd say no. 
So I'm looking at them, I'm looking at these girls, I'm looking at this guy, I'm looking at this family. And you know, I wish I could tell you that I walked down there and I was like, no! <laughs> I really wish I had done that. I did something that I still, I still am ashamed of. I, I get to the end, and this guy gets on his knees. <laughs> and he holds up his flowers and he says, Samantha, will you go to the banquet with me? And everyone's listening. And I leaned down and I said, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> I said, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> See, I didn't want everyone to hear me go, no. But then, you know, I knew I couldn't go with him. And so I was like, eh, about it. And of course, that kind of answer makes everyone think you said yes, so everyone starts to cheer. Okay, everyone's cheering, and then he gets up and gives me a hug, and so everyone's like, yeah, Samantha's going to banquet with this guy. And I think to myself, let's talk about it later. So we did talk about it later, and I said, you know, I told you before I was going to go with my friends, and I still really want to go with my friends. And so he said, so you're saying no? <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't. I gave my word. Like, I said I was going to go with my friends. And then something really interesting happened. I got back from break, and it seemed like no matter where I went, people would stop talking. Have you ever had that experience where you go somewhere, and they stop talking, and you know it's because they're talking about you? That happened. It seemed like it went in, in every class where I had any classes with upperclassmen, specifically juniors and seniors. Every time I walked in, they would stop talking. And then I realized I heard the word going through the school about Samantha, who had said yes and then changed her mind and about all these things they were saying about this mean girl who this guy had gone to so much trouble to ask her, and then she, like, played him or whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I had said no to begin with, I was 13 years old, it was, it was a lot of pressure, but if I had just listened to my heart and, and to what I knew was right and had said no to begin with, maybe some people would have been upset. But look, they're upset now. <laughs> They're upset now, and at least they would have been upset for me doing what I knew to be absolutely right. But instead of saying no, and instead of saying yes, I gave this halfway answer. It's kind of like an, I'll think about it. When you're asking someone to do something for you, you want them to say yes, or you want them to say no. But when you're like, oh, can you help me move? And they say, I'll think about it. What does that usually mean? usually means no, but it can also sometimes mean yes. It's this halfway answer that doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't have any kind of commitment to kind of just throw someone off. And I wished with everything inside me that I would, I would have been willing to just stand there and say no, because then at least I would have been able to say I did what, was, what I knew was right. But, you know, the, the flowers and the people and the cameras, it was like this five seconds of fame at 13 years old, and I just couldn't stand it. And I got to this place where I just didn't do what I knew was the right thing. And that moment of regret, right, where you look back in your lives and you're like, I wish I had done something different. That's the worst. But see, last week we were, we were studying Easter and we were looking at, at what the cross means in our lives. But as I looked through the story, I found somebody who knew what the right thing to do was in his heart. But in the face of everybody watching him, they didn't have video cameras or photographs then. But in the face of everybody watching him, he knew, in this case, he should have said no. Just like me, I should have said no. But instead, he said yes, because everybody was watching him. And we'll see what happened to this guy 
And whether or not our response is yes, no, maybe, whether or not, that actually makes a difference, especially in our relationships with God. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John 18, verse 28. We're looking at Jesus on the way to the cross. John 18, verse 28. What it says is, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Jesus right now is on trial. They're trying to decide what should we do with Jesus. And so they had gone to Caiaphas and they had decided, let's go to the palace of the Roman governor. Because what this crowd wanted was to kill Jesus and only the Roman governor had that power to say yes or to say no. Okay, to say yes or to say no. And so he goes in John 18, 31. Um, they talk to Pilate. And they tell Pilate all the reasons why they should kill Jesus and why this guy isn't a good guy. And Pilate says, John 18, 31, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And then they responded, but we have no right to execute anyone. They objected. What's interesting is that they take Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate knows immediately, I should not get involved in this. And there are many times in our lives where we are confronted with situations and a warning sign goes off in our mind that says, I should not get involved in this. It happens when the people around us start to talk about somebody in a really mean way, and the warning sign goes off, this is wrong. I should not get involved in this. It happens when we end up at a party or when we're hanging out with our friends and like little white powder comes out or, or somebody was able to sneak a beer from home and a warning sign goes off in your head, I really shouldn't get involved in this. It happens when you're at school and you didn't finish your homework assignment, but somebody else has the answers and you look over and you say, I really shouldn't get involved in this. There are so many areas in our lives that we face on a daily basis where we come into the situation, just like Pilate's in the situation, just like I walked into class, that first period class, and I saw the rose and something goes off in your head that says, I should not be involved in this. Pilate had that experience when they brought Jesus to him. He says, you should just deal with that yourself. But then the people make their intentions really, really clear. They say, but we have no right to execute anyone. So Pilate knows right from the outset, what they want is death. They want Jesus' death. And actually, I want to suggest that in our lives, when we come up against these situations, should I do this right or should I do this wrong? A lot of times, what we're going to get out of that situation is really clear. The Bible tells us clearly that when we participate in sin, the only outcome is death. And the only things that give life are the things that come from God. So it's really clear to us a lot of times. They say, we want you to execute him. Pilate knows he shouldn't get involved, but does he say no? Instead, he goes seven rounds, and he asks him tons and tons of questions, asks Jesus all these questions. And finally, at the end, John 18, 38, Pilate ends up saying, what is truth? I've listened to it. I knew I shouldn't get involved, but I got involved. I thought I could handle it when I got close enough, and now I'm involved. And he says, what is truth? And then he goes out to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate says, I shouldn't get involved, but I did get involved, and now I know what is right in my heart. Just like I'm standing in front of that guy, I know I should say no to him. Pilate is saying, I know what's right in my heart. I have no basis for a charge against him. I know that Jesus is innocent, and I should let him go. But the thing is, Pilate commits the same mistake that I made. Instead of saying yes or no, Pilate says, I know what's right, but how about a halfway answer? 
Instead of saying yes or no, let's do this instead. He says, but, since I don't want to say no and then you'll be mad at me, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? We've heard this story before, right? We've, we've heard this story a million times. But it's a really interesting thing to me that Pilate, he doesn't become the Roman governor by accident. This is a man who can make decisions. But in the face of this crowd that's shouting at him, he's having a really hard time releasing Jesus. We have to address the question, if he had released Jesus, does that mean that we wouldn't have been able to be saved? I want to suggest to you that the answer is no. That Jesus died because there is so much sin in this world and sin was coming together to kill our Savior. He was, he was able to use that to save us, but had Pilate not been involved, it still could have happened. But the difference is now Pilate is in the book as the one who participated in the death of our king. And so he's there and he says, well, I don't want to say no, so how about, um, you know, I know you have this custom, we release people, why don't we release someone? Do you want to release Jesus? And the reason, another reason why he did this is because not only did he know he shouldn't get involved, and he knew in his heart it wasn't right, just like we do when we get into certain situations. Um, not only that, but something else had happened. It says here John 18, but it's actually in Matthew 27. Um, in Matthew 27, what it tells us is that when Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. And what that tells me is that when God is trying to tell you something, God is trying to get to you, God wants you to do something, he wants you to step out for him, or he wants you to step away from something, a relationship, a situation, a group of friends. When God wants you to step out for him or step away from something because of him, he makes it really clear. You don't hear it when one place. You hear it everywhere. Pilate knew it in his heart. He knew it from the things that he read that this guy should not be convicted. And his wife had a dream from God saying, don't get involved in this. God was trying so hard to spare Pilate, who wasn't even a God believer. And in our lives, I think it's the same way. We get involved in these situations, and God is trying so hard to tell us. He's sending these messages from every place. We know it inside. We hear it from somewhere else. That is what was happening to Pilate. And yet, instead of just making a decision and standing for God, even if it means that people aren't going to be so happy with us, as if we could guarantee they'd be happy with us anyway. Instead of making that decision, we do halfway stuff. Just like Pilate did this halfway answer, he said, do you want to, do you want to release Jesus? And the crowd shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And so what I'm sure you already know is that Barabbas isn't just a criminal. He's a murderer. Barabbas is dangerous. And so we see the first result of Pilate's halfway answer. When God calls on Pilate, just like God calls on us, and he refuses to say yes, he refuses to make the commitment, the first result is that he releases a dangerous person into the crowd. He lets a murderer go free. When God calls on us and we don't say yes, what we're really saying is no. There are consequences for not truly and fully obeying God. And a lot of the, time, the times, it's in our lives or in the lives of the people around us where those consequences play out. If God is calling on you to do something, a halfway, I'll think about it, we'll talk about it later, that is not going to cut it. Because Pilate tried it, and what he ended up doing was releasing a criminal. 
But Pilate still knew in his heart that it wasn't right to release Jesus, and so he did something else. John 19 verses 1 through 3 tells us Pilate didn't really want to release Jesus, so he took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. When we hear about the cross, we hear of these torments that Jesus went through. Many of you know that when someone is flogged, it's not just getting flogged. It's, it's a leather whip, a really long leather whip with bits of bone and wood attached to it. It would tear the flesh. And interestingly, I discovered that not all crucified people get flogged. That many times they're just crucified. But the reason why Pilate flogged Jesus is because he wanted to let him go. But he was hoping that if he flogged Jesus, then the crowd would have sympathy on Jesus and think, you know what, he's had enough. He's not going to cause any more problems. So he flogs Jesus, and he thinks to himself, they'll make the decision for me. I won't have to take the stand. And he tries to push off the decision on somebody else, just like we do all the time, trying to convince the people around us to do what we want, to do what's right, instead of just making the decision on our own. He tries to convince them, and he brings them back, John 19, verse 4, and he comes out, and he says, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let him know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Jesus is there, the Son of God. His body is torn. He has blood dripping down his face, an innocent man. And Pilate knows it. He knows that this man is innocent. And so he says, look at him. What is he going to do to you? Just let him go. I already beat him. We already did this. Just let him go. But the Jewish leaders had something else to say. They insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And now, now the pressure is really turning up for Pilate. Because Pilate is ultimately under Caesar. And under Caesar, there can be no other king. Caesar is the only king. And Pilate knows that if he doesn't condemn this man, then now he's in danger. All of his wealth, all the stuff he and his wife likes, his nice house, all of his power, now all of that is in danger. And the truth is, when God calls us to step out for him or to step away from him, a lot of the time, that puts the things that we think are so important in danger. It puts what people think of us in danger. It puts sometimes our stuff in danger when God asks us to give in faith for him. It puts us in danger, and Pilate is now in danger. So how does he respond? John 19 verse 8 tells us that when Pilate heard this, when he heard, oh, now it might actually personally cost me something, it could could cost me my job, if I literally took a stand for Jesus, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. The fear is just building up. Because the truth is when God is calling into our lives, fear is there. And it continues. He still knew it was wrong, and so from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He tried to set Jesus free. His halfway methods and his attempts, he tries to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar, and Pilate knows he's in trouble. He knows what's right to do. He knows what's wrong to do, and he has to make a decision. And so finally, he stops with the halfway answers. That's just causing more problems. And he makes a decision. John 19, verse 16, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. 
this is a pivotal moment in this story. Because as angry as the Jewish leaders were, they had no power to crucify Jesus. They could have maybe just up and done it and then been charged for murder, but they did not have the power to make, make the soldiers crucify Jesus. It was Pilate. It was on Pilate's word that the Son of God was crucified. In our lives, we may not be making the decision as to whether or not we will see the Son of God crucified, but we make the decision as to whether or not we will honor that crucifixion every single day. Every single day, and at times in big ways in our lives, we are confronted with the fact that God is calling us to come deeper with him. That God wants us to live in relationship with him, and yet we're confronted with these things that would pull us away from God. We're confronted with pornography, and we're confronted with popularity, and we're confronted with money, and we're confronted by all these things that would want to pull us away from Jesus, and we have to take a stand. Not an I'll think about it stand, not we'll talk about it later stand, but a decision as to whether or not we will say yes or no to God and Pilate comes to that decision. And my question was, okay, we know that Jesus was crucified. Praise God he was risen from the dead and we have salvation. But what happened to Pilate? Pilate sent Jesus to be crucified because he wanted to preserve his life. He wanted to preserve his popularity and his power. So what happened to him? In, in sending Jesus to the cross, was he able to preserve that for himself? I looked it up, and I did, I did some research, and I found extra biblical sources, and they were all in agreement. And what they say was that not long after this, I can't say if it was directly connected to this or not, but not long after this, Pilate committed suicide. He tried so hard to save his life. He tried so hard to keep the things that were so important to him safe. He would have gone as far as to kill the Son of God to preserve all of these things. And he ended up losing them anyways. That should speak to us today. That if we desire to save our lives and the things that are important to us in our lives more than we desire Jesus, you can guarantee that you'll lose it. I can guarantee that I'll lose it when I start to pick stuff over Jesus. I will lose that stuff. Because Jesus is God. He is the king of this world. And anything that we put in front of him, that's a lie. That's a lie. And that's why God is calling you sometimes into uncomfortable places, calling you to step out and go, calling you to step back from this situation, calling you to take a stand, not because he wants you to be unhappy and take things away from you, but because he wants you to have life. He knows that on the other side of that is death, and he wants you to have life. But the thing that confuses us so much is that sometimes we're just afraid. We're, we're too afraid. We're too afraid to step out in front of Jesus like our junior early teens did today, step in front and talk to people. We're too afraid to talk to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. We're too afraid of what people will think. But I want to share with you, before we close, a brief story about another group of people that was afraid. Because what we realize is that fear doesn't have to stop our story with God. In the book of Mark, the first people at Jesus' tomb to visit, the first people that hear that Jesus has been resurrected is this group of women. 
if you go to Mark chapter 16, this group of women comes and the angels tell them Jesus is risen. And so they say this really interesting thing. They say Jesus is risen, Mark 16, 7 through 8. So go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the women hear that Jesus has been raised to life, and now they're supposed to go and tell people. But what it says next is that trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It reminds me a lot of Pilate. Pilate hears some news that scares him, and he hears this, and he's afraid, and he goes back inside the palace. Fear makes these women retreat. Fear makes Pilate retreat. If you look in your Bibles, if you actually look into it, some of your Bibles will say that everything from that point on, the trembling and afraid, they ran away, everything from that point on was not actually in the original manuscript. That was actually added later by somebody who knew the rest of the story and really needed to tie Mark up in a nice, neat little bow. It actually was supposed to end with this. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's how the original book of Mark ended. Why is that? Because the author of Mark wanted to challenge you. These women had received the best news in the world and they couldn't share it because they were trembling and afraid. And so the question that really resides there is the question of you, God has called into your life and you are trembling and afraid, what will you do? Will you hide in the palace and then come out and decide not to stand for God because it's too much? Or will you do what these women did? You know that these women didn't keep it to themselves. Because if they had kept it to themselves and everybody kept it to themselves, we would not be sitting here hearing about the story. We would not know the best news in the whole world that the Son of God has come to seek and to save the lost. We would have no idea of that if they had stayed at trembling and afraid. It's okay to be trembling and afraid when God speaks your name. It's okay to be trembling and afraid when God says, step outside of your comfort zone. Step outside and talk to these people. Step outside and make a decision for me. It's okay to be trembling and afraid. But the difference is, is will you step through that fear with his power? Or will you allow that to let you step back and allow life to pass by before you? And come to the end and recognize that you had missed the very thing that you were made for. We know that the women ended up telling the story because later on in Luke, the disciples are walking with this guy they don't recognize. And they end up telling this guy they don't recognize. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. They did the right thing, and we know it because the disciples ended up telling Jesus, this guy they didn't recognize, that these women had been faithful. And I don't know about you, But every day when my day ends and one day when my last day ends and I stand in front of Jesus, I want someone to be able to tell Jesus that in the moment when God called me, I was able to say yes, even when I was afraid. All of us want to be able to tell Jesus, you called into my life and I was so scared. I didn't know what I was going to do with that money. I didn't know how that mission trip was going to go. I didn't know what, what would happen if I took this stand and lost all of my friends. But I said yes. By your grace and your power, I said yes. At any given point, we are Pilate giving half answers. But we have, through Jesus, the power to be these women who stepped out of their comfort zone and testified to Jesus. After I was asked to that banquet, 
my freshman year, 13 years old. I had a really big aversion for shows of romance. I really, I on can honestly say I was not crazy about roses for a long time. But seven years later, I found myself in this situation. There was another guy on a knee in front of me. And he asked me another question. He didn't ask me to go to the bank with him. He asked me to marry him. But see, the thing is, I guess I could just show you this picture and tell you I said yes, and it was all great. But I'll confess something to you. I was nervous when I was, when I was coming down that pathway to that guy when he was going to ask me to go to banquet with him. But even though I've been with this guy for five years, I dated him for five years, I was still nervous when I realized he was going to ask me to marry him. In fact, he had surprised me so thoroughly. He lived, he lived in Fresno. I was in Northern California. That when my friends walked me into this gate where this garden was and I saw him, I turned and ran out. <laughs> I saw this whole thing set, set up, and I pulled a pilot. I pulled a woman at the tomb. I pulled a Samantha Angelis, and I turned and I ran out. I don't handle surprises that well. I turned and ran out. There will always be a measure of trembling and afraid at any given point in our life when we have to step out, whether it's choosing to marry somebody, but especially when we choose to step out for God because we're stepping toward life. But see, the difference is, is instead of running away and wanting to stay, ran away, like the first time. This time, I was able to come back and to say yes. No half-hearted, I'll think about it. None of this, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> there comes a point where we have to look at Jesus, who we have known, most of us, for more than five years. And we have to be able to look in Jesus' face and say, I trust you. I love you. I know that you want the best for me. And unlike any other human, you are actually God and have my best at heart and the power to provide for me in my life more than any other human. And at that point, we have to look at God and say, yes, I'm terrified. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but yes, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will obey you. I will not give you half-hearted answers. I will tell you yes. So as the band comes forward, I want to ask you this question. Where are you being challenged in your life today? It might be big ways. It might be small ways. You might have to say yes to God by forgiving. You might have to say yes to God by giving sacrificially. You might have to say yes to God by taking a stand with your friends. But my challenge to you today is this. We're looking at this in our women's group, and this is my challenge to you. That whatever God says to do, do it. Do it with all of your heart. Don't go for halfway answers. Don't settle for things that make the situation worse. But whatever God says to do, do it.